0: Welcome back to the podcast everybody. I'm Noel Kassler and I'm back here with my main man Jimmy Kennedy to break down the week's events. So let's go. Episode 18 is rolling.
1: Jimmy how you doing today brother? Doing fantastic Noel. How you feeling today man? Back from, from uh, some R&R. You look good. Thank you buddy. Getting me a little tan. Yeah I was uh,
0: I was on Rhode Island or off the coast of Rhode Island for uh a few days on Block Island, one of my favorite places to go and ride a bike around. And that's where I did my car rant yesterday. We're taping this on Saturday of July 4th weekend. And coming home, 95 was all shut down because a couple of uh, militiamen <laughs> left Rhode Island themselves last night and got stopped by some Massachusetts state troopers. And they said that they don't comply with the laws of this nation because they were dressed in paramilitary gear and they were carrying long rifles, and they fled into the woods. And apparently all eight of them have now been apprehended safe and sound, which they were careful to point out. And uh, I'm glad there was no bloodshed, but uh, it's funny how a bunch of guys in military uniforms with (laughs) assault rifles can be taken safely. (laughs) You know, like they'll go to any length, but 95 was shut down for most of today. But I'm home safe and uh, ready to get into it, man.
1: Yeah, plenty going on. Trump, his business has been charged. Him personally, though, he's still out and about uh, as a free man. So He's
0: having a rally tonight in Sarasota, Florida, <laughs> while Florida's still digging themselves out of the horrible tragedy in Surfside that happened last week. And Trump himself is no stranger to shoddy construction. You know, they don't have sprinklers in Trump Tower. It's like... 38 floors. He lied and said it's like 48 floors. I just made up an extra 10 floors or something, But or 65, whatever it is. It's, he, he made it 10 floors higher than it actually is in reality, but whatever. It's a tall ass building. <laughs> it's not the kind of building you want to be in if a, if a fire starts. And one of his tenants had a fire in his apartment a few years ago and the guy died. So like having a high rise without a sprinkler system in Manhattan is about the most terrifying thing I can think of. So he's no stranger to shoddy construction. So it's no surprise he's not paying any respects to the victims down there. And he's going ahead with his rally, though his people did mention that they will be collecting donations for the victims of Surfside (laughs) now. To any of my listeners that might be partial to donating their money to Donald Trump, let me just remind you, he's legally barred from having a charity in the state of New York, as are his adult children. So if you want to send money to the victims of that tragedy, please don't pass it through Donald Trump's coffers, because I promise you, it will not meet its destination. (laughs) And, uh, you know, in Celebrity Apprentice, he would always say like, You know, the the whole thing was a game show. Right. And it was like people were playing for charity. So somebody would be playing for like Juvenile Diabetes Foundation, for example, and they'd win. And he'd be like, I think this is such a good idea that I'm going to match your donation. You know, so somebody would raise $250,000. He would say, I'm going to match that donation with a Trump organization check of $250,000. And he never did, obviously. And then NBC would have to cut those checks themselves because he said it on live TV. So they were legally liable, you know. And, uh, you know, that sort of ties into what happened to his organization this week. He was a tax cheat. Everybody knew that his father was a tax cheat. Donald Trump was a millionaire by the time he was 11 months old because Mm -hmm. his father would put all these properties and all these like stocks and bonds and funds in his name. By the time Trump was three years old, he was a multimillionaire, okay? That wasn't because his father was generous. It was because the guy was trying to hide his money. And then, as you know, Jimmy, he would rent back... like. For example, he would put like a property. He would he's get a new development, right? He's going to build a bunch of new apartments in Queens, so he buys a big parcel of land and then he gives that land to his adult children, but then mm-hmm. he rents it back from them and pays them a fee for using that land. And that's a way to get around gift taxes, you know? So his dad invented that stuff. And I'd like to remind our listeners his father built his entire fortune off of FHA loans that were part of the New Deal. They were low and no interest loans given out by the government to developers to build housing for GIs returning from World War II, otherwise known as socialism. A very beneficial public works project to raise and basically create the middle class. It also made Fred Trump a very wealthy man. And what what does he do? You know, the son of a German immigrant who came here and opened brothels in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> that's, what, you know, that's what Fred Trump's father did. Trump's grandfather was a, was a pimp. You know, he owned brothels for miners up in the Pacific Northwest. So what does the son of an immigrant who was kicked out of Germany for cowardice because he refused to serve in the army, what does he do when this new land that he's a first generation immigrant in gives him the opportunity to become a wealthy man? His instinct is to not pay his taxes. To hide all the money so the government can't get back any return on their investment, essentially. And he does this to his children. It's literally the equivalent of hiding cocaine in your baby's diaper when you go through the (laughs) airport. You know, it's illegal and scummy. And it's bringing the kids into this grift before they can even say a word. Right. While they're still babies. So if you think of it. Trump never had a chance. This is not to say I'm sympathetic towards him at all, but he was raised in this. He was marinated in ruthlessness and in tax cheating and tax dodging. They're bad seats. Like the entire family is just somebody that should have been Deported. You talk about deporting people. The Trump, if you had deported the grandfather when he owned brothels, you would have saved this nation a lot of headache. There wouldn't (laughs) have been eight guys running into the woods with assault rifles this morning on the 95, you know, because they didn't believe in the laws of this country. That stuff didn't happen five years ago. People didn't say shit like that. You know, that's Trump. He made that mainstream and he's having a rally tonight to speak of that. But so this case, we're going to get into it for a lot of this, this episode because Trump inherited that kind of malfeasance from his father. You know, and the New York Times did a great, obviously, piece. Suzanne Craig and Russ Butner Butner. I always say his name wrong. I know them, but I say his name wrong. But they they are the ones who broke this story years ago. And basically the New York Attorney General and the SDNY is finally acting on that with Jennifer Weisselberg's documents and stuff that there were two books. But you have to think about this guy who became president of the United States and told Hillary Clinton in a debate when he was running for that job that not paying taxes makes me smart. Right. Because <laughs> everyone in New York knew he didn't pay his taxes. The hot dog vendor on 57th Street knew Trump was attacked. <laughs> you know, it was no secret. It was, certainly was no secret on Celebrity Apprentice because every time he opened his mouth and promised money, NBC had to actually write the check because they knew Trump was a deadbeat. He's the guy who cashed the 26 cent check that Spy Magazine set him up on. You know, you, heard, you know about that, right, Jimmy?
1: One of two people to do it. The other guy was like an Iranian uh, arms dealer, you exactly. know? Exactly. I believe he was a Saudi
0: arms dealer, which is yeah. a dummier.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, and I saw this week that Ivanka is getting a little nervous because she received like consultant payments to avoid taxes against the organization. You know, so it's been passed down to the next generation of trying to grift.
0: Of course, it is $750,000, a consultant fee. And she's an employee of the organization. Right. You know? mm-hmm. Nobody double dips, dips like Ivanka. She was doing it on The Apprentice. I guarantee you, you got to look at her tax returns. She was charging like we had a five person glam squad for her. Right. I Mm -hmm. guarantee you she was writing that off as if it was her expense, even though Mark Burnett's production company was paying for it, because that's how they are. Nothing is too petty for them. You know, (laughs) look at what Ivanka did when the inauguration happened. Right. She was down there jacking the rooms on Trump Hotel, you know, a room that would be 300 bucks a night was now 650 a night. That was her. You know, she was taking every dime out of that situation she could. And her and her husband, they said, made six hundred and forty million dollars or something while they were in the White House, like astronomical money. You know, what was her first act of business as when she was, you know, whatever she was for her father? She was getting Chinese patents, you know, left and right, patenting everything she could, including voting machines,
1: well, and another thing that Jared's gonna have to worry about, I don't know if we've talked about it on this show, uh, is the six 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 building that he's gotta pay for. Doesn't that payment oh, come up he soon? He paid it
0: off. He paid it off. The the oh, UP okay. paid him. He 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 did it like that was his first active business. Okay, that's a good segue, Jimmy. Okay. because he doesn't have to worry about anything. That's why I'm shaking his head. Jared ain't ever facing any kind of consequences right. in this lifetime. He's not an employee of Trump organization. His name isn't on any of those damn documents. He's not a, you know, part of that corporation. He's got no legal entanglements with them. And he's smart enough to always have been that way. You know, his one mistake would maybe be marrying into that family, but he was just evil enough to be like, all right, it's a good deal. I'm going to make a fortune. But what Jared did was he bought triple six Fifth Avenue right before the crash in 2008, and he paid a huge price for it. You know, he overpaid for this giant building, which is across the street from Trump Tower, by the way. But, um and it also, interesting enough, that the top of Triple Six Fifth Avenue is the Grand Havana Club, which is a private cigar club, and that's where Rudy Giuliani holds court every night and gets drunk. Like, if you've heard those butt-dialing cell phone conversations, those are from the Grand Havana Club. That's where, you know, Rudy sits with his Yankees hat and jerks off for his buddies about how he's really running the world and is really the Secretary of State. <laughs> so anyway... <laughs> but for for exposition what jared did was the the loans were coming due on that building and he overpaid and he had he was seriously leveraged so he went over that's why he started doing business in the middle east right away and what he did was he got the united arab emirates to bail him out he basically got them to put a blockade on gutter gutter is where we have military bases it's a very vital strategic country for our for our interests and he Mm -hmm. basically you know had uae put a blockade on them when gutter said they weren't going to back jared's loans anymore so he stiffed armed them and then they said all right well we'll continue to fund you so he's in the clear because he just got gangsta you know he used (laughs) the White house to be gangsta af so that's what he did so gutter paid off those loans yeah he still may have financial entanglements but he's like the rest of them he's so grifty you know Uh and People don't know this, but they're they're slumlords. I mean, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, that Kushner family fortune is just like the Trumps. You know, it's based on the backs of the working poor. Kushner, Baltimore, Maryland, Delaware, he owns all these apartments that are just horrible living conditions. And he jacks all the rent on these people. And he sues them if they complain about vermin or, you know, black mold, all these health situations in their apartment so Jared is a scumbag but he's going to run out he's going to you know he'll be the one guy to escape all this you know him and his trainer will be flying off into the sunset <laughs> you know when the rest of them not that the rest of them are going to pay a serious price but I guarantee you Jared's got his exit strategy planned you know there's a reason you know he's in Israel all the time and stuff you know he he's probably got a standby button to press on his phone and a black car picks him up at his mansion, you know, gets him to a helicopter, gets him to a plane on a runway on some island in the Caribbean. And the next thing you know, he's wheels up in Tel Aviv or some some hidden location where you'll never find him again.
1: And I know this is how the world has always worked when it comes to like the elite class, but it seemed like Jared and Ivanka were sort of they were an arranged marriage, right? Like it's it's an alignment of two powerful families to keep the power together to to build on what power they already have.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And when I met them, they were just dating and then they broke up. Okay. That when I first, when I was Ivanka's handler and first started working on Celebrity Apprentice, they were just dating. And Jared was a good looking dude. He had dimples. He, you know, he was a good looking kind of guy. He looks horrible now because of all the Botox (laughs) and the soul rotting stuff he's been up to, but he used to be a decent looking guy he was dating Ivanka. They broke up because Jared was like, you know, Trump would call him the Jew. You know, he'd be like, is the Jew here yet? You know? So Jared's like, I don't need this. You know, like, even though Jared's father was a criminal, Charles Kushner and stuff, I, I shouldn't say they're too classy for the Trumps, but the Trumps are very low class in terms of like, not that money has anything to do with class because it doesn't, but. For the kind of world that somebody like jared would aspire to be in you know because his dad put him through harvard his parents paid for a wing in the lounge at nyu to get him in law school and he never actually practiced law he didn't even take the bar he just (laughs) he wanted to learn how to rip off his tenants you know he wanted just enough knowledge that he'd know how to sue some poor working woman who was renting one of his rat infested apartments in baltimore so but they had to pay for this because he's not the brightest guy. And uh, they wanted him to aspire into New York society because they're from Jersey. And nobody from Jersey is automatically accepted into Manhattan society. It's Jersey. It's called New Jersey for a reason. <laughs> you know, it, it, ain't, it ain't the classiest place in the world. And there's a lot of cool people and smart people in Jersey. But Jersey, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, and I love Jersey. Now we're going to get hate mail from Jersey. But that's all right. But um. You know my point in that is his family was trying to get jared to be the princeling of manhattan and when jared started dating ivanka he realized like this is horrible you know this guy's a drug (laughs) addict he's grabbing every woman who walks into the room like he's clearly a criminal they're clearly all criminals jared's like i'm out of here and then wendy dang murdoch who was married to rupert murdoch and the rumored girlfriend of vladimir putin says no vonky You know, you guys are getting back together. And she took Ivanka out on a cruise in the Aegean or somewhere off of Turkey on her yacht for a couple of weeks, talked her into marrying Jared. And then the next time I saw them, it was like 2010 or whatever. They were married, you know, and their marriage was in the society papers. And I got friends that were there. Ivanka passed out at her wedding and had to be carried out. She fell down and hit her head. Like she doesn't drink anymore, but she's somebody who shouldn't drink. If you can read between the lines and that mm-hmm. like, addiction and alcoholism runs through that family. Another friend of mine took Eric to rehab in Hawaii and, and Trump wouldn't even pay for his own son. Like somebody else paid for it. Tom Arnold can tell you about this, but they're all addicts and drug addicts and just, it's not, it's not a healthy situation, you know, but so Jared, it was arranged, you know, Wendy Dang Murdoch was like, no, you guys are going to rule the world. You need to get in on this. And they got married, you know, and Mm -hmm. of course, it's an arranged marriage. Neither of them would naturally be attracted to each other, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with that. It just wouldn't be either one's first choice. But when you want to rule the world, it's a great place to hide out. You know, Ivanka quits drinking, becomes an Orthodox Jewish woman. Jared gets married, has a bunch of kids and gets to hang out with his trainer on the side. And gets to make a lot of money and gets access to all of our nation's secrets. So he gets to do things like get Cutter to say, nope, OK, we will back your loans, you know,
1: because
0: UAE right. is going to give a naval blockade unless we do.
1: Well, and that's where the real corruption comes in, because when he's a diplomat, he can use the diplomacy to leverage stuff financially for himself. Like that's that's the whole thing. How did our government not say this is a red flag like this needs to DQ this family? Not, and Jared's not even attached. He's doing this on his own accord, you know?
0: I know. Well, that's why the first trip was to Saudi Arabia. That was Trump's <laughs> first trip. And Jared was right there next to him, you know? And they gave him an orb, Trump an orb to play with. And he did a sword dance and stuff. And they got to do whatever, you know, they wanted. Because the other thing is like, you know, Trump is so easily corruptible. He's so stupid and so entangled with so many nefarious things that anybody who wants a piece of Trump can buy a piece of Trump for a small price. And you say like, how did our government let this happen? There really was no government. You know, once Trump took over all the guys at the National Security Council, they left. You know, they, all, the, all the career people that would have been these fail stops against this either left or were fired you know, and they couldn't believe this new breed that was coming in. And that's why they brought in Mike Flynn and all these corrupt guys, you know, that sort of like make sure nobody could be held accountable for what they were about to do. And what they're about to do was basically rape and pillage our government for four years. People forget your Scott Pruitts You know, they forget Ryan Zinke. They forget the first round of grifters that these guys brought in that were like nothing we'd ever seen before. Ryan Zinke rode to his first day on the job on Independence Avenue at the Department of Interior on a horse, bro. Rode a horse up to the building and had them raise his own flag that he had made up himself. Like he was the fucking king of England. He was doing <laughs> cosplay, you know, as a cabinet member, you know, and then he had to leave because he had so much scandal. He made his college roommate in charge of rebuilding the electrical grid in Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria, Whitefish Electric, you know, Whitefish Montana. They had 12 employees, you know, from <laughs> of millions of people that was devastated. And people died because of that. It's 90 degrees there. It was September, You know, people died and Trump loved it because he hates Puerto Ricans more than anybody else. He's easily the most racist person I've ever met, but he's old school New York in that, you know, like West Side Story. Like he thinks he's a jet or something. He just he used to call him the S word, you know, spics. That's what he would call. You know, he'd look out the window of the helicopter when they were shooting B-roll on The Apprentice. And he'd be like, look down there looking at Queens. Look at all those spics. Look at all those N words. Look at all those Muslims. When I was a kid, this was all white. That's how he grew up, you know, in the sixties in Jamaica Estates, Queens. His dad had black-faced lawn jockeys on his front lawn. You know what a lawn jockey is?
1: No, I don't. It used to be it?
0: A racist thing that people would put on their lawns. It was like a black guy standing on your oh. lawn, like a little figurine, like a sculpt, you know, like a statue of a black guy holding a lamp. It was like really racist, you know? And right. and and that was a huge part of this country. Like, we're, and that's what Trump brought back. That's what make America great again means. And that's what they're trying so hard to not let go of. You know, Texas is in the news every day now because the governor of Texas has his 1836 project, right? You know, right. and I just canceled a book tour. There was going to be a, a speaker who wrote a book, two two journalists from Texas Monthly, I believe, wrote a book about the Alamo and what that really meant you know that the the battle at the alamo was trying to hold on to texas slavery it wasn't from a <laughs> question from mexico they literally built into their state's charter that african americans and native americans had no rights as a citizen. So the day Texas was founded in their independence, they wrote it in. Slavery was baked into that state. And the governor doesn't want that taught to its kids, to its children. And, and it's not they don't want to talk because they're embarrassed about it and they're trying to move on. They don't want it to talk because it's there, but it's unspoken. You know, that's what MAGA means. It's like we get to be racist again and the liberals don't get to call us on it. And, and we get to teach our children to be racist and we get to raise them not knowing the truth about who they are and what we are. And that's a dangerous thing. You know, we're heading into the 4th of July tomorrow, right? Like this is not, what are you proud of? You know, like the, America has done good things, but we just pu- we're pulling out of a war right now in Afghanistan. We spent 20 years there and now we're leaving overnight, right? People who helped us are gonna get slaughtered. You know, I have a cousin who was a Marine sniper over there. His buddies who died, they died in vain. You know, we want to pretend, hey, you guys are heroes. And yeah, you, you served. That's heroic. You accomplished absolutely nothing. The Taliban is going to be stronger than ever, except this time they're going to have our tanks that we left behind. We did nothing because we had no reason to be there. We, we There's no strategic... Dick Cheney did not care about Afghanistan. He wanted to go into Iraq and take the oil. That was his only goal in the whole post 9-11, we're going to war. It was about how does Halliburton make more money? It wasn't about how do we really go after the terrorists, okay? The Bush administration didn't even find Osama bin Laden, right? Obama got him like because they wanted a boogeyman. They didn't want to get him because if you get him, then you got to bring all the troops home. You know, if he's still out there, then you get to keep spending all this money. Kellogg Brown Root is part of Halliburton. That's the, the services arm of a war. You know, people think of a war, there's a lot of money in munitions and soldiers. There's also a lot of money in infrastructure, the guys that build the tents, the guys that set up the subway sandwich shops on the army base that the guys eat at. There's all these workers that you don't see. It's like when you go on a cruise ship, you know, there's all those people behind the scenes yep. making it happen. War is like that, too. And it's fucking profitable because there are no bid, basically contracts that you get from the government. You saw war dogs. Great example of that.
1: Yeah. Well, I was going to compare it to a Colts game. You know, when you go to an NFL football game, there's a lot of moving parts to it. There's a lot of advertising. Everywhere you look, it's sponsored. You know why? Because they have a contract. And Jim Irsay, as the owner of the Colts, he's going to want Coca-Cola in Lucas Oil Stadium. He's going to want Pepsi or, you know, whoever's the highest bidder. It's the same deal. You know, who's the highest bidder that's going to make these tents? At the end of the, at the, end of the day, folks, it's a money-making machine and it's rolling. It's still rolling
0: exactly jim's got to pay for those guitars somehow now i gotta, <laughs> gotta segue into my jim ursay story there you go let's the do fir- it the first time i met him we were there in the fall going through indianapolis with a, a tour called the rides tour which was kenny wayne shepherd and steven stills and barry goldberg who was in electric flag he used to play with mike bloomfield all these kind of six you know a couple 60s guys and then kenny wayne shepherd who's, who's a friend of mine a great guitar player like stevie ray vaughn type and uh you know, we I think our gig was like on a Saturday and we had the day off Sunday. So like, hey, we're going to stay over. Jim's invited us to to his game and yeah. they pick us up at that hotel. You know, that one nice hotel downtown. I don't know what it's called. The Conrad the conrad right sweet hotel yeah. we walk out of the conrad hop in this van next thing i know we're whisked down into the basement of lucas oil stadium and i've done super bowls like so i've been backstage at nfl games but this was a whole nother level like they dropped us off right in front of this elevator we get in the elevator the I swear to God, the elevator opens and we're like in Ursae's suite. I've so been there. One. It's it's yeah. nice. It's nice. Yeah. He on the <laughs> team. You get a damn nice suite, you know. So we're sitting in there kicking it, eating lobster rolls and all that. And uh Jim's a cool guy. He's a character, you know. So a couple <laughs> of years later, we I was back there with stills and ill uh Urse came to the gig and he had just gotten like his upteenth DWI or something like that. Right. And uh I shouldn't tell this story on the pod, but I guess I will. So Stills is like, Hey, you talk to his wife for a minute. I got to talk to Jim. You know, he's been acting up. I got to kind of give him a good talking to. <laughs> and I'm yeah. just like, man, if Stephen Stills is the guy who's talking to you about <laughs> sobriety, like, you know, you're screwing up, but, uh, they're old yeah. friends. And, uh, you won't get that joke, Jimmy, but some of our listeners will, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> they will know what I'm talking about. You know, if the guys from Woodstock are telling you that you need to chill out, you know, but Jim's a cool guy. So a couple years later from this, uh, you know, I collect guitars myself and uh, I was at Les Paul, inventor of the Les Paul and the Great Mm -hmm. musician. They were auctioning off a lot of his gear and Jim Irsay is a big collector. He has Jerry Garcia's guitar, like the, the Rosebud, a really famous Jerry Garcia guitar, it hangs in his office there in Indianapolis. Awesome. And we're, I'm sitting in this uh, auction and it's a snowstorm and all this. And uh, the guy in front of me is Irsay's bidder, you know, the, the buyer, like the guy that Irsay sends to buy this guitar. And he stops bidding. It goes up to like $275,000. And I remember I leaned in. I'm like, it's a deal to two eighty five. dollars And he, two eighty five, and he, get, he gets it. Black Beauty, the first Les Paul that uh, Les Paul invented and made. So anyway, that's a segue for, your, for our listeners that they're probably going to be like, what is he <laughs> talking about? But um, rock and roll, baby. And like you said, advertising, you know, infrastructure, contracts. How do we make a buck? That's right. what this country is based on. Last night we saw, I don't know if you saw it, but like the Gulf of Mexico caught on fire. You know, mm-hmm. there was an oil spill. You should look it up after the show. There's a they're they're drilling in the floor. You know, the ocean floor in the Gulf of Mexico, and there was a break in the pipeline, and a fire started, and it bubbles up in the water. You'll it'll blow your mind when you see us. It. it looks like an action <laughs> movie, but it's real. Like a mile around, just fire. The ocean is on fire. Right. <laughs> you know, like it's time to stop using fossil fuels. You know, we just learned the other day that Exxon really fought climate change at every chance they could. Just like cigarette companies pretended like cigarettes don't give you cancer. Oil companies know that they're destroying the planet. They know that we're dying, but people don't wanna let go of their way of life. They want the pickup truck, they want the big muffler. I hate the fact that I have to get in a car. It was nice to go to the beach for a week, but the reason I went where I went is because I leave the car in the mainland and I ride a bicycle when I'm there. You know, and in this country we got to start thinking about alternative transportation. It's not your god-given right to ride around in a fuel-guzzing, guzzling vehicle. And if you think it is, get used to the hot weather and if you don't like immigration, just wait till entire countries become uninhabitable, you know? Just wait till you can no longer live in Central America. You think you got an immigration problem in Texas now? Wait till Texans are trying to get to Colorado. It was 118 degrees in Vancouver last week. Vancouver, bro. I
1: was going to say, that that Vancouver?
0: (laughs) It set the hottest record two days in a row. The hottest days it's ever been in Canada happened on consecutive days this week, okay? That should be so alarming that everybody in the world should be like, time out, we got to stop this insanity because we're going to die. People don't get it. They think it's a theory. You're not going to be able to live in a place like Phoenix, you know, one of the largest cities in America now the electrical grid goes down somewhere like that, it's 118, people will die that'll make Katrina look like child's play. You're talking tens of thousands of people dying. You're talking about mass disaster and we're looking down the barrel of it. You know, you're older than me, Jimmy, you're gonna see this stuff in your lifetime. This is gonna become the most pressing issue in your lifetime. And and you can't talk people out of this stuff. They think, no, I got a pickup truck, I got a car, fuck that, cheap gas, that's what we're well, here
1: for, you know? Here's my problem, man. And it's Democrats do this, too, because we're all about the quick buck. We're all about the short term strategy in America. You know, we don't think 30, 40 years ahead. President Carter was the first one to say, look, we need to start moving away from fossil fuels. And at this point, man, the natural disasters that are being caused by these things are costing more than just converting to renewable energy there's more jobs in renewable energy now than there are in fossil fuels. You know, I'm sorry that the pipeline didn't work out. I'm sorry that our land doesn't have to be torn up now so that you can have your energy source delivered to you and you can have your Ford F-150, your AR-15. So you go down to city hall and try to kidnap the governor like we saw in Michigan last year. You know, it's all part of this perpetual system that's being fueled by capitalism too, man. We need an excess of resources in order to keep this system going. And that's all it is. It's a system and we can change it if we choose to, but we're not, we're not doing it because no, no one's educated or aware of it. You have to become aware
0: of who's manipulating the system. You just mentioned Jimmy Carter. I've met Jimmy Carter several times. He's the coolest guy ever. He was a great president in my mind, but they changed the narrative on them. And who is a big part of that? Your buddies, the Koch brothers. Okay. That happened at the same time the Koch brothers got real interested in politics. You know, their dad was always a libertarian, but Charles and David got real into politics because they own oil pipelines around the time of Carter and, and solar energy and all this stuff that threatened their bottom line. And what happened with the wave of sort of conservative politics that came in with Reagan? What did people hear for 20, 30 years? Carter was like weak. You know, he was he he presided over Malays in this country. He was a Libtard. They demonized any sort of progressive thought it happened then for a reason because the oil companies didn't want a guy like carter becoming president same way they fought like hell to keep al gore from becoming president al gore was the guy who was elected president right but they unfortunately had (laughs) bought a supreme court already and the supreme court was like no just give it to bush right and then what happened under bush's presidency as we just said you got a war for oil you got a vice president who ran an oil services company Okay, it's big business and it's a few people and a few families that control this stuff. And it's been that way in this country forever. The Rockefellers, Standard Oil, you you make enough money, you're going to protect the way of life that you need to continue making money. And that's why it's just pure evil, because somebody like the Koch brothers, they don't care. They don't care what they're doing to the planet. And it's easier to pay a fine than it is to do it legally, you know, to do it ethically, to do it environmentally safely. And there's no environmental safe way to burn fossil fuels. It's just outmoded. It's just a dumb thing to do. Anytime you're mining something or drilling something out of the earth, you got it wrong. You know, it's like technology that makes a lot of noise. I'm always like, that should have never left the shop. If it's that loud, like when I hear a lawnmower or a really loud engine, I'm like, that's not done. If it's that disturbing to any sentient being, if it scares babies and birds, go back to the drawing board. There's Mm -hmm. a reason all of our fantasies about like aliens and stuff, it's all quiet, right? All there's the ships, you know, their spacecraft, it doesn't make any noise. That's what we think of as technology, you know, like look at computers. I'm talking to you on a laptop right now. 30 years ago, it would have been a huge computer. You know, CPU would have been here with fans in the back and all kinds of noise. We have to think of our world the same way. We we can't have like brutality become the defining characteristic of American life. and it, and, and it is in so many ways. I just drove back through Sandy Hook, you know, where an entire classroom was slaughtered. And in that same community today, as I drove through there... People had lawn signs that said, unmask your children. They were making science a political issue in the same town that they didn't stand up against the NRA for, that had literally children taken away from us at five years old. In that same town, there's people putting lawn signs saying, unmask your children. You know, if you didn't have vaccines, your children would have polio or measles or something. And now you think it's a political thing? to prevent them from getting COVID, but it's that brutality I'm talking about. That's what Trump brought in. It's like all the ignorant masses are now aligned. They're all sort of under one flag and they get to call it patriotism, but it's anything but patriotic. It's, it's scared and it's small-minded and it's ignorant and it's repugnant and it's a threat, not just to democracy, it's a, th- it's a threat to humanity. If you're denying climate science, That's a threat. And we have to fight it back. It's not climate change. It's called global warming, right? Climate change was invented by oil companies. They didn't like the term global warming because it was too scary. So they said, let's call it climate change. It's more palatable for people. Those are from focus groups that are paid for by the people that are doing it. And we accepted it as Democrats. We're like, yeah, it's climate change. No, it's global fucking warming yeah man like
1: you know i I was watching um i know you love adam mckay i was watching uh the movie vice about dick cheney and you know i was thinking about the january sixth commission that's going to happen in the house if liz cheney is the voice of reason we have a little bit of concern you know like looking at her father and the kind of policies that he wanted that he enacted and the shadow presidency that he had in his time And, and you know Donald Rumsfeld, who passed away this past week as well, uh, they were close buddies for a long time. Like I I didn't realize how intertwined uh, Rumsfeld was and Scalia, too. He knew Scalia a long time before he became VP. Yeah,
0: those guys were all in the 70s. They're all in that same time I'm talking about when Carter came up. Carter was sort of like the heir of the 60s progressivism. You know what I mean? Like the good stuff that came out of the 60s, the peace and love, the let's take care of the planet, let's live in harmony, the environmental movement, which basically began in the early 70s. And You know, I used to go to those rallies. I went to the Sunday festival on the Washington Mall when I was a kid, like five years old. That was the first time I saw Jackson Brown play, you know, who became sort of a mentor to me. And when I met him when I was 17, I snuck into his dressing room because I'd written a paper on American imperialism in Central America on the Iran-Contra affair. And I was trying to educate my classmates in my sort of middle class, working class, upstate New York neighborhood who were all Reaganites, you know, and and children of Reaganites. I was trying to tell them what Iran Contra really meant you know what the government (laughs) was doing in your name and I snuck into Jackson's dressing room at Radio City and told him about this paper and I said the last time I saw you play with David Lindley who's his guitar player was at the Sunday festival and he's like you must have been this big you know and I was a kid but I remember seeing all those people on the mall and I remember hearing music I think Jimmy Buffett played it too And I remember like, you know, people were coming together for a better way of life. You know, the No Nukes movement, which I was involved in the later in, you know, we did a reunion of the No Nukes Muse concerts a few years back, like 10 years ago on the West Coast. But there was a time when we were looking to undo the evils of a big sort of like petrochemical industrial military complex. And that came out of the sixties. Right. And and Carter embodied that, you know, they call him the first rock and roll president. My friends were in the oval office, you know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash went there. Graham Nash smoked a joint and blew it out (laughs) the window, you know, and Carter, uh, you know, he's the coolest guy you'll ever met. Last time I saw Jimmy was president Carter was with Graham Nash out at the civil rights museum that they have at the lbj library in texas and i see, you know hey mr president you know he goes hey man how you doing (laughs) you know like he's cool dude and uh but he represented something that was a threat to your donald rumsfeld to your dick cheney's and what the irony is as you just mentioned, like now Trumpism is a threat to those guys because the Trump wow. people are so batshit crazy <laughs> that even, you know, Lynn Cheney is like, whoa, we got to stop these guys because even those guys would put on a suit and tie and the stuff would happen in the back rooms of steakhouses. You know what I mean? But it, it, it all happened within the confines of, of what was normal business as usual in Washington, D.C., And Trump's followers are like, no, let's attack the Capitol and throw our shit on the walls. Let's take Nancy Pelosi's lectern. Let's put our feet on the desk. Let's get in an SUV on the 4th of July with a bunch of guns. God knows where those guys were heading. And everybody who goes to a Trump rally tonight, you know, everybody who watches OAN this weekend, they're being sold the same anti-progress, anti-environmentalism. You know, they boo this stuff. You know, they boo, they want to take your cars, they want, they want to take your hamburgers. They use that stuff against us and it becomes a lifestyle brand for the ignorant instead of like really looking at the facts. You know what? It's really bad to eat meat. Like you shouldn't be able to buy a cheeseburger for $299 at your McDonald's because mm-hmm. the price of that environmentally is horrid. Yeah, you get a free range steak or something, but mass agriculture. You know, when I was a kid, that's why they burned down the rainforests because it was Burger King wanted to graze cattle down there to make Mm -hmm. it cheaper to buy these shitty hamburgers. So that kind of stuff gets tied in with what is patriotism. Just think of the holiday itself. What do we do? We light off fireworks, right? Fireworks are simulations of bombs. Right. We're war, you know, we had a war, you know, we got our freedom. Like we're obsessed with war. We think it's fun. Hey, bring your little kids out. We're gonna blow some shit up on Saturday night in the town park, scare all the birds.
1: After we invaded Afghanistan and went into Iraq, we created a game called Call of Duty (laughs) about you know invading the Middle East. And that's part of the issue too. We're overstimulated and we we package these things like the soldiers are heroes, so then People get into war and and it it becomes this kind of macho thing. No, it's life and death when you break it down. Absolutely. And And
0: desensitizing people has become a virtue. Like you're too sensitive. I saw an ad pop up in my Twitter page for a, a video game. And it was like, it just was yesterday or something. I blocked the company. It was called Sniper or something. And it was a sniper and it was a guy who was grabbing a woman on a train tracks and putting a gun to her head and pulling her down on the train tracks. And I guess Jeez. if you were the hero, what's that?
1: Geez, I'm like, that's horrible. It was both
0: graphic and horrible. And you were the sniper guy who I guess was going to blow this dude's head off, you know? But that was entertainment like this horrible violence against women, great act of violence. And I'm sure they're selling it like, well, you're the good guy who's shooting the bad guy who's about to like murder the woman. Well, maybe that shouldn't be part of the game anyway. <laughs> you know, like maybe that shouldn't be seen as fun. That visceral violent thing is not, it's not a virtue, but it's its fast food for the mentally challenged. And I say mentally challenged in terms of like unwell like desire for anger. You know, the curse of the house of Atreus, it means violence begets violence. You know, Agamemnon was a Greek play and he got mad and basically killed his brother's children and then fed him to his brother because he had an affair with his wife while he was away at war. And that's where the curse on the house of Atreus comes from. It means like, if you play into violence, you'll only get more violence. And that's what we're doing to the planet. You know, our energy system is based on violence. Fracking is violent. Fracking is a really dumb way to get energy that's limited anyway. Sooner or later, it is going to run out. And one of the biggest purveyors of fracking, of course, is the Koch brothers because they break down that cruder oil. You know, most people don't know this, but the the real claim to fame of the Koch brothers is crude oil in a rough form is very hard to turn into gasoline. Like the, the oil deposits they have in Russia, for example, are a very rough kind of crude oil and you have to break it. You have to crack it. It's called cracking it. And that's what the Koch brothers father figured out how to do. He was able to refine really rough, like kind of shitty grade oil, for lack of a better term. And that's why he made his fortune in Russia in the beginning, you know, and then came to the US. So They're already bottom feeders in a way. And those kind of people have been controlling the narrative. And and they've pushed out your Dick Cheney's. They've pushed out your Donald Rumsfeld, who were horrible people. Like Donald Rumsfeld was a horrible human being. There's a million Iraqis dead because of that guy. And he was Mm -hmm. a smug, arrogant tool. But what we're facing now is even more dangerous than that even more dangerous. And and it's scary to see it. You know, as I said, I was away on vacation this week and I was doing my car rant yesterday and a guy came down the steps. I was doing it on the beach and a guy came down the steps with his children and he could hear I was saying some liberal kind of stuff. Like you could just see him tense up. You know, he's one of these kind of like look like a Trump guy, short squat, had the haircut, the trim beard from Boston or whatever, carrying his kids. And I finished when he was coming down and I said, hey, man, how you doing or whatever, you know, sorry to be in your way. And he just ignored me, just gave me a cold stare and walked on by. Because he could tell he probably in his mind, I was Antifa or something, but he didn't like the words he used or heard. You know what I mean? He could tell I wasn't one of his guys. And that's what's happened to this country. We're divided. 74 people voted for Trump. Like 74 74 million, 74 million. I said 74. It should have been 74. It should have been like 74 people who were asleep for four years, woke up out of a stupor and said, oh, yeah, but Yeah. yeah. (laughs) <laughs> 74 million were like, I want some more of that. The guy who didn't pay his taxes, the guy who let 600,000 people die, the guy who's been trying to bang his daughter for 30 years. Give me some more of that.
1: You know, one thing that I want to instill in the younger folks that listen to this, because I'm only 26 years old and it, I was kind of lost after I graduated college. You know, when you leave school and you have to go into the real world and get a real job, it changes things. You know, and I think a lot of people my age kind of have a sense of that they don't belong to to different things. And, and what I would emphasize is like, again, what I said last week, but I'll say it again, learn from as many people as you can, try to gain as many experiences as you can. And, and learning is a lifelong thing. Like it doesn't end when you get your diploma in high school and college, you know, you have to constantly be aware uh, so that you can understand the effects of a, of a Halliburton, you know, and the, the profit of war, the, the underneath stuff that happens When the first time I talked to you, Trump had just left the Kurds to be slaughtered. You know, imagine what's going to happen now with the U.S. forces finally leaving Afghanistan.
0: Yeah, well, they, they we're leaving people to die, just like we did in Vietnam. And even after Vietnam, we brought some of the refugees here. You, you're too right. young to remember, they called them boat people, you know, and a lot of them resettled in in Houston area and all over the country, some in New England, and, and they made this place a, a better place. I love Vietnamese food. It's my favorite cuisine. They came here and they worked hard and they, you know, sort of became part of the wonderful tapestry that is American life. And the the Afghan people should be afforded the same thing. We should be running shuttles 24-7, getting as many of them here as we can. But we're not. We're going to turn our backs on them and we're going to let them go. The airport has already fallen. Most of the bases are fallen. The, the, the police and the security forces that we had worked alongside with and helped prop up for 20 years are going to get slaughtered. They're all surrendering, you know, in hopes of mercy for mm-hmm. the Taliban. And the Taliban were awful. Like you probably don't remember, but the Taliban before 9-11 were a very scary thing. They were blowing up these ancient Buddhist sculptures. They're really very scary, corrupt, angry, you know, co-opted their religion, you know, because Islam is a peaceful religion at its heart. It's been co-opted by angry men that are using it to, to hold on to power and be like little warlords. So it's a horrible loss for the world, too, because whatever has survived in the last 20 years, culturally, of Afghanistan, which is one of the oldest civilizations on this planet, is probably going to be lost forever. And those are treasures. Those are our shared history. And we were never going to win that war. Russians didn't win that war. You can't win a guerrilla war. You know, we didn't win in Vietnam. You can't win against people that have nowhere else to go. They're going to keep fighting you until you give up. That's what we always do. We haven't fought a just war in this country since World War II. Korea, we had to be there. North Korea's bad scene. You know, you could make a case that, all right. And that ended with a ceasefire. We didn't win that war. You know, that's what the 36th parallel, whatever it's called is. But from Vietnam on, we haven't won a war. Yeah, we destroyed Iraq and then Trump gave it all back. (laughs) You know, it was just like, we are idiots. We should have taken the
1: oil. The the horrible thing, too, about it is, you know, we're we're 20 years into this Middle Eastern warfare that's been going on. But When you look at the United States now, we're the ones that are radicalized. The same thing that happened to the Middle East and kind of got this war brewing is what's happening here.
0: How many of those people on January 6th do you think were veterans? A lot of them, bro. Yeah. A lot of them. And and it it also fed into like the post 9-11 like toxic masculinity. I've discussed that before on this show, but all the propaganda of like that horrible Clint Eastwood film about the sniper and stuff. You know, he's a sheepdog protecting people like, no, dude. But that became and I got friends who served over there with distinction. A buddy of mine, Josh Heisel, who opened up for Neil Young and for, for CSN on that same tour I told you about for Stephen Stills was like one of the main Marine dudes in like. You know, like he was in one of the longest battles that the Marines had had and like saw it all and told me some horror stories and came home and realized it was BS. You know, he was right fighting a rich man's war. You know, they send basically poor kids over there to fight and die and minorities and stuff. And then back in this country, you don't even have rights. Imagine serving in Afghanistan and being a Texan, being a young African-American veteran that served in that war. And now you're living in Texas and they're trying to make sure you can't vote and your kids can't vote. And you had a racist, openly racist president for the last four years. And when he lost an election fair and square, he told his racist followers to attack the Capitol. That's not what you were fighting for. That's not what you were taught to pledge an allegiance for. That's not what you were celebrating on the fourth of July. But that's what's happening. And more and more people are getting hip to it. You know, the good news is, you know, obviously I'm pessimistic a lot, but it it is so extreme that it's not subtle. So if you're in with Trump now, you're an idiot. That's pretty widely accepted. Like You're a fucking moron if you still have a Trump flag on your yard. You're just like, I'm a terrorist. I'm homegrown Taliban. I got a beard and I got a truck and I'm going to make some noise for the next few years. But sooner or later, you're going to die out because you're too stupid to keep going. You know what I mean? Because the guy that you're worshiping is a con man and he's going to bleed you dry. Okay. And in a couple of cycles of generational sort of activity and turnover, there's not going to be anywhere for you to go. Mm -hmm. You you know what I mean? And you're going to snap and break.
1: Well, and complicity is just as bad. You know, we have to all be involved, be aware. You know, that's how Mussolini came to power. There was one half that was like, this guy is an authoritarian. The other half was like, "Ah, you know, he'll adjust. We'll put him in power and he'll adjust. These guys don't adjust. They go with what they want in the end. They don't care about the rules, folks. They do not care.
0: Exactly. And you have to you have a right to protect the air you breathe and the country you live in. And it's like I say, these giant pickup trucks, you know, I saw one on Block Island. A guy went into the liquor store and left his pickup truck running for like half an hour. He never came out of the store. His muffler was big enough that a basketball would have been needed to block it up. And it's diesel fuel and it's just like chugga, 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 you know, for a half an hour. And it's poisoning everybody who's sitting across the street eating at a cafe. It's on this idyllic little island that you have to ship fuel to because it's a fucking island. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like. So, it's using a resource and nobody says anything. And I'm like irate. I'm sitting there like, how do people not even notice this? How have we become accepting of this ignorance and acting like it's a personal virtue and I can't say anything to that person? Live and let live is good for a reason and up to a point, but it's no longer live and let live. You know, when the Gulf of Mexico is catching on fire. <laughs> Because some idiot doesn't want to turn off his pickup truck for 10 minutes or wants to get a car that's jacked up 14 feet in the air, cutting your fuel mileage in half, by the way, because rolling a vehicle down the highway that tall creates wind, you know, that makes it harder to use more fuel to get down the road. It's all ignorant stuff that we've just come somehow come to accept in this country. And you might think you're looking the other way or you don't want to get involved. Your children aren't gonna have that choice. Your kids are gonna live in a completely different world than the one I lived in, Jimmy. Your your Mm -hmm. kids are gonna grow up in a country where it's no longer theory, it's a fact. It's happening. The only thing that we didn't know is how quickly it would happen. And now it's happening a lot quicker than even the smartest scientists had figured out. Nobody could have foreseen Canada's 118 degree days, two days in a row, okay? That's not just an alarm bell. That's like, you're living in a horror story. Okay. And Jason is walking around in the woods with his knife or whatever, and he's coming for you. You know what I mean? And everyone's acting like, well, let's just go out in the backyard, (laughs) you know, see why the dog was barking. Mm -hmm. I mean, you ever watch a horror movie and you're like go out there, you're going to get killed. (laughs) That's what's happening. Now you're in a horror movie. The planet is trying to warn you when fish are getting fried in the ocean. It's time to do something about this because all these cities are going to be uninhabitable. And a lot of these cities, like Miami, as we learned, they were built by shoddy construction dudes, you know, that were fueled by Russians and all this stuff that were looking to make a quick buck. You know, anybody who's building in Florida was a kind of a scumbag anyway, to be honest, because they built over the Everglades and all these perfect environmental things in South Florida. And they just wanted to throw up these big condominiums and get as much money as they could from New Yorkers who would want to fly down in the winter. You know, so the whole thing right. was, a, was a dumb con anyway that wasn't sustainable. And now that's going to come home to roost. And now those places are going to become uninhabitable. And where are those people going to go?
1: Well, and, and that ties back into what I was saying earlier. You know, the short-term profit in in favor of or instead of a long-term plan you know like i saw a documentary recently it was about the paris accord you know the climate accord that was trying to reduce emissions and within 30 years like oceans are going to recede to the point that buildings won't be worth anything because they'll be underwater you know like it's it's such a short-term plan and nobody seems to even care like it's all you know just eh
0: which was part of the reason that like the Koch brothers were into somebody like Trump. Cause he's not, he'll talk about the Paris accord tonight. He talked about it last week. I watched his rally and he's like, yeah, it's a stupid deal. That was a bad deal. I'll tell you, no, it wasn't a bad deal. It was a fucking great piece of, you know, legislation or, or peaceful treaty that we need desperately, but he's out there branding the good things as bad. And he's distracting the idiots that you need to distract if you want to continue to do nothing about it. If people, like you said, started learning the truth, they'd be like, no, that's not a bad deal. We need to do that. I want to protect my family. I can't afford to move anywhere I want. You know, I live in Louisiana and I want to stay living there because you're not going to be able to live in New Orleans. You're not going to be able to live in these cities just from the oceans rising alone from the, you know, the polar ice caps melting. Like, But you get these people sort of like doing the work on behalf of the guys that are killing the planet and you get people cheering it on and you get people that don't want to hear the truth about anything because it's a lot to think about. But like, so what? You better start thinking about it. You better do something about it because you don't really have a choice, you know?
1: It's better to think about it before it affects you than when it actually affects you and you've actually run out of time. Like we well, have a window, no, no, we're not, we're not using it, you
0: know? Gotta correct you, Jimmy. It's already affecting you. You've already yeah. run out of time. It's already 90 degrees. California is on fire right now, as right. I speak, because of the wildfire. It's mm-hmm. already here, baby. That's what I'm saying. The Jason guy is already in your house. The call is coming from inside the house, okay? It's already too late. The question is, how bad do you want it to be?
1: There was one other thing I wanted to mention. Oh, um, you want to talk about the Olympian getting suspended for smoking? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Obviously. I th- you know, I get it. I understand her reasoning for doing it. And I think it's not as stigmatized as it used to be. It's legal in like 19 states. And I'd be really curious, you know, who on that committee was invested in like cannabis stock. You know, I'm sure some of them have somewhere, have it somewhere. But uh, if you're an Olympian, you got to know what's on the banned substance list. I remember when I worked for the Colts, um, Robert Mathis, who was a defensive end, really good defensive player, took a substance for fertility. Right. Because he was trying to have a kid and it it ended up being on the banned substance list. And he had to, like, uh, have a four game suspension because of it. It's not right that he was suspended for those four games, but it's on the list that his employer says is wrong. So that's kind of my take on that whole situation. Right on.
0: It. I mean, well, and obviously it doesn't enhance performance, okay? <laughs> no. is not going to make you run faster. And Michael Phelps is an open stoner, right? Michael Phelps mm-hmm. would brag about all the pot he smoked and he'd get celebrated, you know? But an African-American woman gets demonized for the same thing, you mm-hmm. know? And she said why she did it, you know? So, you know, I think it's outmoded to ban people for something like that. Cause they wouldn't ban you for taking all kinds of prescription drugs to deal with inflammation and all kinds of things that you get as an athlete. Cannabis should be legal everywhere. It's 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 a dumb Thing to have, you know, sort of like still have this stigma. And the anti marijuana was a racist thing in the beginning. You know, the whole stigma against marijuana was against Mexicans and African Americans in this country. So it's funny that they single out an African American woman and they celebrate a white guy who was like, yeah, I smoke pot. You know, (laughs) I rip bongs all the time. And he's like the most winningest Olympian ever. So To me, it's like stupid,
1: you know? She runs faster than most men, you know, sober. So what what are we talking about?
0: Right, exactly. Do a bong hit at the starting gate for all I care and make it a fun race. But uh, I think it's got its roots in racism. You know, I think she's a little outspoken and they don't like that. And in terms of the NFL, like it's completely ridiculous that marijuana is like a banned substance. They'll shoot you up before you go play a Sunday game. You know what I mean? They'll shoot Dilaudid in your ass to go out there and tackle somebody and not notice that, you know, you basically have a broken bone from last Sunday, you know, and you're going to suck it up and go out there and play. But if you smoke a joint afterwards, when you take a bath at the end of the night to relax your body naturally, you're going to get in trouble for that, you know? Well, let me just finish. I know ex-pro athletes who are supremely addicted to painkillers. Okay. And it's a lot harder to get off of Oxycontin than it is to stop smoking pot, dude. And pot isn't even going to destroy your life like prescription drugs will, you know, you get addicted to painkillers, it's all over. You're lucky if you ever get off of those things.
1: I was going to make the point that, uh, you know, Andrew Luck retired at 29, (laughs) two weeks before the regular season. He had a press conference and was like, I can't take this anymore. I'm mentally broken. The dude was stiff by the time he was 27. I can verify that from an assistant coach that that saw Andrew Luck in the locker room. A 29 year old prime athlete was broken before he was 30. You know, like that's the kind of damage the NFL does. And we can't sugarcoat it anymore. I want the league to last, but we got to change the rules and realize we're, we're breaking people in a public forum. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's gladiators. I mean, that's yeah. what it
0: is where we're trying to watch big dudes kill each other on Sunday. You know? yeah. We'll right. get into CTE some other time, you know, but and all they did to cover up all the brain damage, you can't get hit like that and not expect to like calcify your brain. Like you're going to have brain damage. It's mm-hmm. brutal. These guys are huge, <laughs> but um, yeah. that's a bummer. Well, let's, let's, let's wrap it up. Okay. It's the 4th of July. Yeah.
1: You I got used- your, uh, your Neil Diamond story. Exactly.
0: I used to do the 4th of July all the time with the Boston Pops. It was one of my favorite gigs. It's probably still on TV. It was on CBS and we'd get like a, a popular performer, and then they'd play with the Boston Pops, which is a great orchestra out of Boston. And they'd play at the Hatch Band Shell on the St. Charles River or the Charles River in Boston. You know, it was just a good time, and I would do it every year. And Great place to spend the 4th of July. And one year, I was doing it with Neil Diamond, who's the best. You know, Neil Diamond, anybody who ever works with Neil Diamond, his oldest crew member, like the, or rather the youngest crew member in terms of seniority had 28 years. Okay. That's very unheard of. You get a job with Neil Diamond, you ain't leaving that job, you know, and I've worked with him several times. Always an incredible experience. Always puts a hundred dollar bill in my hand at the end of the night, you know, or something. Something to make everybody feel special. not just me, like anybody. you're around. Wow. You're, you're walking away from that better, completely generous guy. I'll tell you a couple stories, but one funny story I heard from his crew. And when they go to like tour in Europe, he brings everybody on the Queen Mary. You know, you make it a family vacation. You spend two weeks crossing the Atlantic, which I've done with Crosby, Stills and Nash. It's quite an experience. I'll tell that story another time. But um, so he takes care of his own. And the best crew story I ever heard was they were doing a show in outside of Milwaukee, Neil Diamond tour, and they had a day off. And when you have days off and you're on a rock tour, often they'll be like, hey, we're all going to ride go-karts tomorrow or something. You know what I mean? Everybody meet in the lobby at 10 a.m. And I was somebody who would like not do that because I kind of wanted my day off, right? But (laughs) uh, the moral of this story you'll see in a minute. So they had their like, all right, tomorrow's the day off. All the crew members, you know, meet in the lobby at 10 a.m. We're getting a private tour of the Harley Davidson factory, right? So everybody goes down there and they line up except for two guys. Two crew guys wanted to stay back at the hotel and smoke pot all day. Okay, when they speak in a pot. Right. So what you do on your day off, that's part of being on the road. You know, you want to relax. So two guys were like, "Nah, I'm not going on the tour. At the end of the day, when everybody came back, the 30 people on the crew, there was only two guys who didn't get a brand new Harley
1: Davidson. Mm, Missed opportunity. (laughs) He
0: took them on a tour and bought them all a Harley Davidson, dude. And you're out
1: the factory line.
0: Yeah, dude, like pick out Howard. your bike. They all got a Harley Davidson. Oh, my God. He shipped it home to him or something because they still had to be on the road. But he bought his entire crew a Harley Davidson. Now, can you imagine being the dudes in your hotel room when the guitar tech knocks on your door and be like, hey, Andy. You won't believe it. <laughs> That's what I got. Can you imagine? So the moral of that story is always go on whatever the activity is, if 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 you end up on a rock tour, always go. And I have my own regrets. You know, I stayed home from CERN, which is a place in Switzerland where they do all this like, you know, nuclear cold fusion, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I've, I've missed out on a few things that I regret. So if you're out there on the road, take advantage of it. But Neil Diamond will take care of you. So I'll, I'll finish this story. So we're doing the Boston Pops There's bad weather in LA where he's coming from the, you know, first class flights we have him on are delayed due to weather. It means we're not going to get to rehearse and it's going to screw up the whole show. So Neil's like, no problem, man. I'll just take my own jet. So Mm -hmm. he flies on his own dime to Boston, doesn't bill it to the production company just does it. So he'd show up on time. So the rest of the crew could do the gig and go still spend time with their families Killed it, you know. Sweet Caroline in Boston is about as good as that, <laughs> you know. And uh-huh. uh, just an amazing guy. And Ron Tut is his drummer. Ron Tut played with Elvis. Your dad would have known who Ron Tut is. He played with Jerry sure. Garcia band. One of the great legendary drummers of all time. Ron Tut walks off stage, off the hand shell, band shell, band shell, and hands me his drumsticks.
1: Wow, do you still got them? Yeah, I play with them all the time. They're <laughs> out
0: my barn behind my drum kit, and I often often play with them. Ron Tutts drumsticks, man. The guy played for
1: Elvis. Did you get him to, like, initial them? That way you'll know? You no, they,
0: they say his name on him. But oh, good. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. I just want to make sure you could like distinguish him. I don't want you to leave him like on the counter. It, it's
0: funny you say that. I have a whole like, I have a whole like box full of all the drumsticks that people have given me through the years. Yeah. And I'll often wonder, I'm like, who gave me this one? Because a lot of them are just beat to hell and you don't know who they belong to. But it was somebody cool if it ended up in my studio because I've never purchased a pair of drumsticks. mm And I probably won't run out of drumsticks. I'm a guitar player, folks, but I like to sit
1: behind the drum kit.
0: Anyway, uh, I think that's about it. You got anything else you want to say, Jimmy?
1: Just be aware, folks. It's time to wake up. And the quicker we wake up, the quicker we can fix it. And we can. We have time. We just got to get on it. Exactly. It's all about
0: awareness. Awareness is the theme of this podcast. You become aware of something, you can change things. You don't even have to do anything. You just have to become aware of it. And then the right action will appear. So it's not to say don't do anything, but become aware. Just become aware of what's around you and you can change this. You know, we have to change this. The, the, the planet's asking us to change it. And certainly the politics need changing. And we're going to do our best to change that on our ends. But for this week, that's enough. Hope you all had a safe and happy 4th of July. This is going to come out on Monday. It's a holiday. Enjoy it. Enjoy your loved ones. And we'll see you next week.